I went into BDSM research. Um, I probably should have had some more expectations to be honest, but um, I was a complete blank slate, wide-eyed 21-year-old. Um, my only knowledge was, again, like what I learned in college and like the Rihanna song, S&M. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, <laughs> see what I did there? Conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. LB Alexander is back for another go on Steam Scenes. What? <laughs> Here's a recap of who she is. LB is an American author based in perpetually sunny Southern California. She spent her entire life enraptured by the sheer transformative power of the written word. And in December 2018, she published her first romance novel, which I can't believe it is her first romance novel, Swan Lake a contemporary reimagining of the beloved ballet. Oh, but it is so much more. It is one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. Thank um, you. <laughs> you're welcome. In addition to writing, she is a professional marketeer, a baker, an animal lover, a tree hunger, a tree hugger, not a hunger, a hugger, a perpetual <laughs> wanderluster, and a massive art history nerd. And I've also just found out a spin bike fan. Yeah. Like I am. <laughs> An optimist at heart, aficionada of luxury, and a true believer in happily ever after, she strives to tell memorable, passionate stories that can intrigue, challenge, arouse, most definitely, and most importantly, <laughs> inspire. Elvie, I am so glad you came back for more. Thank you so much for having me back. This is, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> You're my first return guest. Wow. You're, well, yes. You. You're the first one. <laughs> first one to return to the to the steamy scenes world and this is going to be I guess a little bit of a departure because we've kind of already done the steam scene sort of thing we've we've done the interview the and um and the reading of the steam scenes and I know that we had been talking sort of separately and all of this stuff about you know how you wrote Swan Lake which is a BDSM romance and um I don't know. It was just such a great conversation. I was like, "Elby, come back and let's and let's try to replicate it." So this is going to be a complete departure from what we normally do, but I think it's going to be really awesome. So I'm so excited. Um. Oh crap! You know what? There was something that I wanted to ask you before we started recording, and I didn't ask you this, so I might edit it out depending on your response and how you feel. So okay. um, I wanted to ask if you were comfortable with me asking you if you are part of the BDSM community. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, you are? You're okay with answering that or you are oh, a member I'm, of the BDSM? I'm totally okay with answering. I'm not a member okay. of the community. I've, I've dabbled like, I mean, because like you're curious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, it's such a TMI question. And I completely forgot to ask before we started recording if I totally could ask. Fine, totally fine. <laughs> okay, because I was very curious, like, why 
did you decide? Okay, you know what? Let let's let's backtrack for a second. I want to mm-hmm. set up um, your absolutely beautiful book. Um, <laughs> so we have April and William. Um, and April is a former ballerina who has left uh, her professional ballet world where she was dancing in Paris um, to move back to LA after a pretty severe injury um, mm-hmm. ended her her career. And it wasn't necessarily the injury or, or it would, the injury wouldn't have been as severe. Is this a spoiler? Can I give this up? Oh, totally give it away. It, okay. Yeah. <laughs> her injury wouldn't have been as severe if she didn't have an eating disorder. Um, it really affected uh, her a body's ability, ability to heal. Mm-hmm. So not only is she rehabbing from this injury, she is literally rehabbing from an eating disorder. She goes to a program. Um, and so her she ends up back home in LA, which is where we pick up with her just out of treatment. And um, and so she's still fragile, and but she has to look for a job. She has to kind of re-enter the quote-unquote real world. Mm-hmm. And um, she ends up uh, hooked up with a job with this uh, billionaire. I mean, he's sort of like a corporate, like he's got he's got tentacles in every business, <laughs> one of those businesses, you know, where yeah. you're not quite sure what the person does, but they make loads of money doing it. Exactly. And he's kind of like this, he's like gorgeous. And um, I don't know, in my head, he was really forbidding. Like he was just a for, for like a forbidding presence, like big. That's a that's a very good good word to uh, describe him. I yeah, I, I describe him as Satan in the book actually. Like actually comparing him to Milton that's Satan. Right, you so. do. <laughs> um, and you a couple do. of like Satan sculptures. So yeah, that that works. Forbidding for sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she is completely captivated. Like she doesn't fear him, mm-hmm. which, which I thought was sort of like really incredible she's more curious by him because there is so much in her life that she fears um there is a lot of fear and anxiety sort of like channeling through april um but but him for some reason she doesn't fear him really um anyway um not to give up too much they embark in on a relate in a relationship um that uh brings her into this BDSM world. It is beautiful. The world you've created is completely decadent. I mean, it is divinely oh, decadent. Um, I was like, oh, I want to go all these places. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, but even more so the emotional journey of the two of them, but particularly April was, Oh God, just really phenomenal and really compelling and, and really beautiful and truthful and painful and cathartic. So anyway, you've written one of the best books I've ever read. Oh my gosh. I'm wow. Like, I I don't think my head's going to get through the door. This is so flattering. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, so, okay. So that's the setup. So what what drew like okay when you sat down and you said this is the book I want to write did you have BDSM were you like and it's going to be a BDSM book or did you just kind of naturally come to that well that's a good question so I started writing Swan Lake um my senior year of college Uh, that's when I finished the the first kind of complete uh draft in about three months when I was avoiding writing my thesis and 
I actually got him to got really interested in writing about BDSM. Uh, this isn't very sexy, but basically because I'm like a huge nerd. And, <laughs> um, so I studied neuroscience. Um, so naturally that involved several courses on behavior, uh, abnormal psychology and human sexuality. And I remember just being super fascinated by, you know, like the writings of like, you know, Marquis de Sade, um, you know, who's that 18th century French nobleman, um, that we get the word sadism from, um, you know, Zahar Massa, the, uh, the Austrian nobleman that we get masochism from, um, you know, Croft Ebing, you know, Freud, <laughs> you know, all of these, um, different writers and thinkers who were sort of looking to catalog these different spectrums of human sexuality. And I was just super, super fascinated by this concept of, uh, you know, some people enjoying pain and other people enjoying, you know, delivering pain. Um, you know, some folks thriving in very disciplined, um, harsh structures, whereas others kind of like to be like a prison warden. So I thought that was just fascinating, really. It blew my Catholic schoolgirl mind. <laughs> and I, I couldn't get enough of it. I just thought it was just so cool and something I just, I had to learn about and ultimately write about. So yeah. <laughs> did, what Did anything surprise you? I mean, like what, I guess I'm sort of like wondering, what, did you have expectations um, going into this before you learned about it or did it, and that you were like, whoa, this is totally different than what I thought. Or was there like some sort of surprise that, I mean, I'm sure there was there, there had to have been something, right? Oh, oh, for sure. So I, to be perfectly honest, I went into BDSM research. Um, I probably should have had some more expectations to be honest, but um, <laughs> I was a complete blank slate, wide-eyed 21-year-old. Um, my only knowledge was, again, like what I learned in college and like the Rihanna song SNM, like that's, that was <laughs> so, um, but when I first started like really researching BDSM outside of academia, um, I, I was definitely concerned that people who identify as submissive or masochistic, um, I was concerned they would all basically be vulnerable people who were being taken advantage of by these, you know, capital D dominants, right. um, or sexual sadists. Uh, but what I found is actually the person who's in the submissive position holds all of the power in these relationships. Um, I mean, the submissive sets the terms very clearly on what the dominant can and cannot do. Um, you know, they have safe words to put a stop to things if they're no longer enjoying themselves. Like they they wield a significant amount of agency um, and they're, they're very empowered um, in their positions as well. So that was super surprising and refreshing, actually. <laughs> um, I think what struck me, um, like really struck me is the level of, tr in the book, is the level of trust between William and April um, that came very, almost very quickly because, you know, it kind of, it kind of has to, right? Like you, you're in a intimate situation with this person who is like literally flogging you. <laughs> And so, you know, you have to, th there's a level of trust there on both sides that I found really compelling and really brave, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, well, well, I mean, it, it is a romance novel, so we can, we can make some, uh, 
make a few embellishments with with how people how quickly people can you know sort of fall into bed with each other and literally um, <laughs> but um but yeah trust is an absolutely uh, essential part of uh you know, these, these types of relationships. And it's something that I really wanted to, to try to convey on the page um, in in a way that seemed authentic. To backtrack that a little bit, I just want to say that the trust was earned. I I want I do want to add that in there too, because I think that that is an important point between the two of them, that trust between them was actually very much earned. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you know, you sort of got even like, I don't know I don't know if I could ever sort of like hit that level of trust of knowing that, you know, if I said stop that, that, that would be like, boom, clear, clear stop. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really an amazing level of trust there. It's, it's an amazing level of trust and it's, it's pretty amazing to, to witness actually. Um, I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't seen it, um, which, which kind of goes into the, I guess the more fun part of my research. I did actually go to a, um, a full-fledged uh, BDSM club um, as part really? of my research for making Swan Lake a bit more authentic. Yeah. Um, a, a very close friend of mine uh, works as a professional dominatrix. Um, and you'd, you'd never know because she's she's very prim and proper, very sweet, um, but definitely has this sort of hidden sassy side. <laughs> she, um, she invited me to uh, the club where she works. This was all pre-COVID. And... Um, I had the opportunity to watch a couple of scenes and it's, it's pretty amazing actually how you hear a safe word and it's like a light switch is going off. Like all of a sudden, like everything stops, you know, there's a psychological change in you know, the person who's, you know, maybe in this dominant role, um, you know, they immediately step out of it. You know, it's, it's, I hate to sort of use this comparison, but it's almost like, uh, using a command with like a dog. Um, Like, you know, you say sit and, you know, sit automatically, it happens, you know, that's very, very great training, I guess, on the submissives part to, uh, to the dominance. So um, that was very refreshing to see and kind of beautiful in a way too. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm sure. Absolutely. Was the club like the club you went to like the, um, that sort of like party scene that you had, you drew in Swan Lake, which was just absolutely divine, by the way. So it was partially inspired by the club and partially inspired by actually a, a party that I went to. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just a real party. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm doing crazy things like this every weekend, but um, but no, a, a friend of mine invited me to this like just as a guest, you know, because we were friends. This party that he was putting on for a client of his, this absolutely just indulgent um, party at a mansion that had. Japanese rope bondage and like dungeons set up. I mean, it was beautiful. I, I didn't participate. I was really just kind of like a voyeur, like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm kind of scared, but sort of intrigued as well. Um, I'm actually fascinated by your friend group. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's LA. I'm friends with everybody. <laughs> and I'm also a classic Libra too. Like I want to be friends with everybody I meet. So um but yeah, it was this gorgeous party at uh, this this mansion that I'm certainly never going to be able to afford this lifetime. But um, yeah, it, that partially uh, inspired the uh, the the club scene that that we see in Swan Lake. So, um, so I do kind of want to jump back when you had the <clears throat> the idea of this book in your head. When did you decide to put it together with the BDSM that you were learning about? 
pretty quickly, actually. Okay. Um, so when I started writing the novel, my, my senior year of college, um, I focused a lot more on the, the psychological aspects of, of BDSM. And that's always been what I've been most interested in is what is going on in somebody's mind um, when they, you know, choose to submit to a dominant partner or, you know, when they realize they actually enjoy feeling, you know, sensations that many of us would consider aversive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that came pretty quickly, um, you know, just because I was, I was studying it at the time and I needed a creative outlet and to avoid writing my thesis. Um, but uh, I guess when I came back to the book, uh, I'd say about a year later, a couple of years later, you know, just started rewriting paragraphs here and there. Um, I realized that BDSM was really just a, a natural fit for, for these characters. I mean, I don't know about you as a writer, but um, I... I usually start a book with a general idea of where I want it to go, but mm-hmm. very often the characters surprise me um, yeah. and reveal something that I didn't even anticipate. And they sort of start telling their own story. So that that's really what ended up happening with, uh, with William and April. The more that I came back to the book and started fleshing them out and attempting to make them as, as believable as possible. Um, so I think, um, I actually think that this might be a good time to uh, dip into uh, the one of the scenes from the follow-up book um, or a novella uh, called Swan Peak. Yes. Um, so you had sent a couple of excerpts, and I think that this might tie in really well because this really does d- dig into the psychological as- aspect that I think April in particular is, um, you know, experiences. I-, I mean, it's really kind of incredible how, uh, which I loved in Swan Lake, it becomes clear in Swan Lake that the act of being a submissive is what ultimately heals her or begins the healing process um, for her, her eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And um, because when we meet her, when she's in LA, she has been through this treatment program. And I don't want to say it didn't work, but it didn't work. Um, yeah. You know, she was still um, having a very difficult time with food. She was still purging. Um, and it was, it, it kind of gave her a high, really, you know, mm-hmm. which I thought was, that um, was so intense to read those moments. Um, and, and I loved how this kind of, um, psychologically became like a a real healing moment for her. And I think that this excerpt, um, expresses it really beautifully. Um, so to set this up, this is April goes down (laughs) and they are, it's her first time giving him oral sex. Correct. It is, yes. And I think it's her first time giving anybody oral sex. Mm-hmm. And um, she's in this, you know, he's in this dominant position. She has to sort of give oral sex the way he wants. Um, and he get, she gets a little carried away. And it, it's, it's actually really great um, for her. But then there, be, there comes this thing where he goes a little bit too deep. And mm-hmm. sort of hits the back of her throat, sets off the gag reflex, and she kind of panics a bit because she thinks she's going to vomit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyway, uh, yeah. So, um, okay, here we go. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> okay. 
suck me off was the only instruction he gave. I forced myself to scoot towards him because if I didn't start moving immediately, my fear would have incapacitated me in a stronger chokehold. I didn't even give my anxious mind the liberty to think about what I was about to do because the reality of it all, the terror of it, would have sent me running towards my safe word before I had the chance to return the hungry favor William had so often given me. I didn't need the experience of multiple lovers to know that William was heavily endowed. Sex with him always hurt because he was too big, forcing his power inside of me in rapturous, violent thrusts that soaked my muscles in ecstasies that gushed like geysers, pure biological defenses against his girth. I couldn't allow myself to consider what would happen with his sex in my mouth, the possibility that he, would, he could suffocate me, because if I let myself think, then I was allowing fear and not my dominant to control me. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Um, you read that very well. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank Just you. Myself over here. Um, <laughs> and then I wanna, I wanna actually jump down a little bit too mm-hmm. because this also ties in. Like this whole, this whole section was actually less about oral sex and more about her healing, her empowerment. Um, you know, even though he kind of wouldn't let her stop when she wanted to, it was ultimately what she needed, mm-hmm. you know? And again, because she didn't say the safe, the, like it, when we're going through her mind, she's like, oh, I think I should stop. I think I should stop. But she never un- utters the safe word. Mm-hmm. So she is not ready to stop. So I just want to like make that very clear. This is something that she's still giving consent to do. And it's more like in her internal struggle with it. Um, does she, does she want to stop? Should she stop? She's not sure she wants to stop. And, and I think that, um, you know, these sort of moments were beautifully explain the reason why she kept going. Oh, thank um, you. So, okay. So here we go. My mouth immediately contracted my teeth scraping against his shaft for that contact was enough to reinstigate the impulse for sickness. I whimpered around him frantically gesturing that I was about to throw up a ghastly unspeakable shame. I would stand no chance of recovering from. My torso shook as a heavy gag quaked through my chest, and to my minor relief, the heave did not result in vomit, yet, but William was still pushing forward, beating the back of my mouth, and I cried out in alarm, desperately trying to signal that my gag reflex, the boldest expression of my illness, was not something that could be controlled by desire. On a frightened impulse, I pushed my hands against his thighs in protest. Breathe, little swan. Keep breathing for me and you'll be fine, sweetheart, he grunted, and he immediately stilled. It was only after that short pause in activity that I realized I actually had somehow forgotten to breathe. I'd been so focused on the feeling of him and the taste of him and so terrified of my reactions that I'd managed to ignore the basic functions that would keep me alive. So I just thought that this was an absolutely gorgeous example of how their role play has really led to her beginning to overcome 
this crippling disease. Um, Thank you. And I, and I think it's so beautiful to look at BDSM as a form of healing because I don't think people do. And, you know, one of the things that I'm learning in this class that I'm taking is that sex is, or the act of sex, and I think it's any, any, any form that it takes is at its root about healing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And not only is it about healing, it's, it's about actualization. Um, if you really think about it, um, you know, expressing our sexuality, um, in whatever iteration that may be, whether it's attraction, whether it's a specific kink, you know, or even just connecting with another human being, you know, these are, these are essential components of what it means to be a human. And with what we have in, in Swan Lake with April's journey in particular is, you know, she's, she's been put together by doctors, you know, she's, she's gone to therapy. She has gone to counseling for, for treatment for her mental illness, but she still hasn't, um, achieved the the satisfaction that one gets when you're truly actualized with another person um and in a very physical way um so and she she starts to explore that with william and because that final you know key goes into a lock that's when she's able to fully recover as a as a full actualized human being um, so yeah se- sex is beautiful sex is absolutely healing um <laughs> And, and I think BDSM uh, can, can be the same way for, for folks. Right, right. I think, I think our culture does such a disservice because there is so much shame mm-hmm. around sex um, and sexuality, and which is truly unfair because it can heal all sorts of traumas and wounds. Um, you know, we just have to be open to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. Um. So, uh, yeah, I also wanted to sort of think about William for a bit because, you know, he, he's been through, he's been through some shit (laughs) that we we learn about in Slime. I mean, he's just been through some shit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, he sort of got swept up into that me too moment. Mm -hmm. Um, he got accused by the assistant that April is replacing of, um, naughty deeds and of, of trying to coerce her and to have sex. I don't, I don't remember. Was it, did she say he raped her or was it harassment? I can't remember now. Uh, it was harassment. Yes. It was harassment. Um, and, and he explains that he basically, it, it didn't happen. Um, but he kind of settled with her so to not give have to sort of drag make force her to get dragged through court like William's a great guy like he's a really great guy um deep down but he does struggle with um with relationships and this is partly because of his I mean it's not even desire it's really need his need to be in this uh dominant role Exactly. Yeah. Something that, that feels perfectly natural to him, but, um, isn't understood by a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What William has a lot of shame, (laughs) Uh, a lot of self shame, um, that, uh, April, uh, helps him heal from, um, because she's, she's sort of his perfect antithesis, you know, as much as he loves to give pain, she loves to receive it naturally. 
Um, so it's truly a mutually beneficial, um, you know, mutually enjoyable uh, relationship between the two of them, where they can sort of be their their most authentic selves. That that isn't really you know understood by by other folks in their lives. Um, because you know, I'm I'm very curious in terms of your research into dominance and submissives psychologically do sort of dominance come from that place of like where, where William kind of was in terms of, um, you know, having to do this, this thing and not being able to find a partner to do it with and kind of, you know, that, or, or was this just very specific in the fiction writer's imagination or is that something that you found? I mean, it's so hard to generalize, right? Like yeah, you it, can't generalize this. It, it is. And, you know, there, there are so many, you know, variances, um, in how, and, and kinks and, you know, what activities people choose to participate in, in the BDSM community. So I, I, I'd never deign to, to generalize on, on everybody. Um, but I, I will say that I, I crafted William pretty carefully. Um, and I, I remember having a conversation with a uh, submissive, actually, um, at uh, one of these uh, clubs that I went to. And not only was she a sexually submissive, sexual submissive, um, but she was also a lesbian. And she talked about how she sort of felt double closeted for many years, because I'm not sure, only yeah. did she love women, but she also particularly loved women who would want to hurt her, who would, who would dominate her, basically. Um, so she sort of felt like she had to come out twice, (laughs) um, you know, once to her family and friends, you know, professional colleagues, and then a second time to a romantic partner she was involved with. So I thought that was really interesting because I'm, I'm a full believer, um, you know, psychology major, (laughs) neuroscience, (laughs) um, that so many things, um, about the human experience, you know, it's not always black and white, you know, so many things exist on a spectrum. And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, folks who, um, I, I want to make sure I phrase this very carefully, <laughs> um, who, uh, you know, might be attracted to um, opposite sex partners, might be attracted to same sex partners, you know, something in between. Um, you know, it's, it's not always a clean cut, you're in one category or another. Right. Right. Um, and, uh for many people who participate in BDSM, um, identifying as a dominant or a submissive is sort of the same way. Um, very often there can be a lot of shame associated with, with coming out and saying, this is, this is how I enjoy sex. You know, this is what feels natural to me. Um, and that this is what I like to do. And unfortunately it's still not really widely accepted. So that, that was the experience that I, I wanted to, to try and make as authentic as possible for, for William. And that, you know, this isn't an activity that he's using as a, a veil for abuse, um, which, you know, unfortunately, especially in recent headlines, is something that people do, um, sadly enough. Um, yeah. That BDSM is really a deeply personal, um, a deeply personal journey um, that he kind of can't exist without because it, it feels natural to him. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of wanted to sort of talk about that, too, that there is a fine line between BDSM and abuse. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, and I think that it's kind of, you know, how do you, as a writer, that's a very difficult place to straddle. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because, you know, people are complex and people do things, you know, for their own reasons and stuff like that. But, you know, I think that there's a little extra pressure when you're writing it that you want to make sure that you're doing so in a respectful yet also safe way so that you don't bring someone down the path um, that might lead to them getting hurt, you know, um, Exactly. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious, like how, I, I mean, obviously research must have played an important part, but I think that there's still, I don't know, it's, it's very nail bitey. How do you straddle that? <laughs> it's, it's definitely tough. And I, I will say it was probably a little bit harder in, in Swan Peak because, you know, this is a follow-up novella. It's a lot shorter. It is a lot steamier um, than Swan Lake. <laughs> and um, there, there's a lot happening in, in half as much um as much time. Um, I will say that as a writer, the, the single most important thing when writing about BDSM and, you know, really just sex in general, unless you're, you're writing in, um, the, uh, the dub con, uh, genre is, uh, consent right. and not only consent, but it needs to be fully informed, um, <laughs> enthusiastic consent. Um, one thing I've, tried to pay extra careful attention to in both of my books is always making sure that it is crystal clear, undeniable on the page that the heroine April wants to be a submissive, like actually wants to be there, wants to participate in, in what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, not because William wants her to, uh, not because she feels pressured, but because she genuinely enjoys it. <laughs> I loved how there was though, this trepidation there for her. Mm -hmm you know, sort of dip her toe and take it out, dip her toe and take it out, um, that I thought you did really, really well. But at no point did it feel like she was being coerced or, um, or, she, or, or she wasn't walking into something without being fully aware of, you know, what was going to happen. Exactly. I, I again, I, I know it's, it's very, it's very easy for, um, for BDSM to look like abuse um, if you don't have that explicit consent, um, you know, very clear, you know, for, right. for a reader, especially. Um, and I've come across a number of uh, romance books that, you know, explore BDSM, um, but it's, it's not authentic BDSM in the sense that very often um, one participant doesn't actually like it. You know, it, it's something that they do to, to please a partner. You know, which is fine. I, I know that there is certainly a place for that in fiction, but that is not the type of book I wanted to write. Right. Um, yeah, because uh, one thing that everywhere that I research BDSM, one thing that was constantly coming up is the the second that any kind of activity between you know a dominant and a submissive, you know, in, in this type of play, the second it becomes non consensual or threatening to someone's livelihood or abusive, it's no longer BDSM at that point. Um, because the, the fundamental um, tenet of BDSM is consent and, and trust and safety. Um, if it crosses that point, it's no longer BDSM. It becomes something different. It, it becomes an abusive relationship. Um, so yeah, I just, I think it's super, super critical to, to always maintain that distinction. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of amazing to me that there are certain moments in um, books, in romance books, and not even BDSM themed, you know, tropes or genre or whatever, where I'll just be like, get out, girl, 
Get out. You know, I mean, because I get it. Like some people love the alpha asshole. And, you know, honestly, um, you know, part of this is, you know, that might be your fantasy. That might be your kink. Oh, for sure. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. Not not to kink shame. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and because and, yeah. I, I know that, you know, some people have these fantasies that confuse the fuck out of themselves sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, where they're like, why am I having this fantasy? And, um, and there are reasons that are probably too deep to go into in this podcast. But, you know, so, so, um, oh my God, I completely, I completely lost the plot here. But the point is, um, you know, so, so there are these alpha assholes where, you know, you start to sort of look and go, oh my God, what is going to, what, what, what? I'm not comfortable with this. But never at that point did I feel that way with, um, with April. Like I never was like, get out. Get out. You know, like, I've never had that reaction. Um, and if anything, it was like, you, you know, I don't live in that BDSM world. I know a little bit about it, not a whole lot. Um, certainly not enough to write any sort of, you know, book uh, or feel comfortable, you know, taking that on. Um, and so when I read it, not only was I, I was intrigued, um, it, it definitely makes me want to like research it more and look at it, uh, you know, not only, you know, intellectually and as a writer, but, you know, also for myself, you know, my relationship, because I think that, mm-hmm. well, this could, this could be fun. And there was a lot going on there that was sexy as hell. <laughs> Thank you. There was just like a complete, like, wow, wow. <laughs> and, um, and, and just, you know, how she really psychologically, mentally, you know, came into her own just through this act and I just was like oh, wow this is <laughs> um you know but that was definitely all about how this was her and this was and this she was able to sort of find her power through being a submissive absolutely yeah that which is really the the whole point um you know is April recognizing that you know she really comes into herself and you know recognizes the most power when she's performing in this way that that is most authentic to her true self um yeah their their sex scenes are a lot of fun to write (laughs) (laughs) well i'm curious for people who are you know maybe have don't really know much about the bdsm scene Mm -hmm. and writers that don't really know much but maybe want to dip their toe into it like do you have like what what is what kind of advice would you give um, let's see. So I would say piece of advice number one, um, write what's actually sexy to you. <laughs> um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be something you have actually done. It could be just something you fantasize about or something you saw that looks really hot. Um, but I think, and I don't know about you, but I've, I've noticed that I tend to write sex scenes a lot better if it's something that in some universe I could potentially enjoy or mm-hmm. at least see how it could be enjoyable maybe for somebody else. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think that's important, you know, recognizing that we all have a comfort zone and it's okay to stay there. It's okay to push it if you really feel compelled to, but if it's your first time, you know, I'd say stick with within one or two deviations of, of what you feel comfortable with. Um, and then expand from there. Um, if writing BDSM, I would definitely encourage, um, 
you know, making consent absolutely explicit on the page, unless you're writing in, in Dubcon or Alpha A-hole, you know, which is perfectly fine. It's not as necessary there um, because those are, you know, the genres have different rules uh, that they follow. Right, um, right. But if it's a novel that um, you're looking to write that authentically portrays BDSM, then consent is very important. It, it, it has to be there. Um, I kind of want to jump back, though, to like, mm-hmm. if you are writing alpha a-holes, and I yeah. know, I, I still feel like, oh, there needs to be a level of consent, especially now, you know, um, yeah. like, even if it's just a... Um, like a quick moment where, you know, you show that this is something that your the partner is okay with in whatever the situation is, like they're getting off on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, consent, verbal consent is important, I think, um, and more, more important now more than ever. But there is certainly other forms of consent that you can use as writers um, that, because, you know, of course, nobody wants to write the book or actually even be in the situation where, okay, is this okay? Can we do this now? Are you okay with this? Is this okay? <laughs> it, it, it takes me out of it for sure. I, I completely agree. <laughs> but I do think it is important to have some level of, you know, if the sex is getting a little bit rough, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe there can be a moment where the partner says, Oh, Hey, ease off a minute. And then, and then that the partner does ease off and then they can sort of slowly re-enter that more, I don't know. I mean, I hate to say violent, but let's say violent (laughs) for lack of a better word, more violent, uh, sort of, you know, encounter, sexual encounter. Oh, for sure. In fact, um, the, the excerpt that you read, that you read, um, I I think sort of, Mm -hmm. um, illustrates that in in a way. So, you know, this is April's first time giving oral sex and, um, you know, physically can't say her safe word (laughs) if you think about it, because her mouth is is full. (laughs) But, um, so the way that her consent is, you know, constantly, you know, being respected is, you know, William is paying attention to her nonverbal cues and how she's reacting physically. So the moment where she puts her hands on his thighs, you know, that's when he stops moving, you know, and gives her reassurance because it's like, okay, he can see that she's starting to get uncomfortable. You know, how how do we back this up? So, um, yeah, it doesn't always have to be like, Hey, let's sign a consent form before we do the naughty. Um, (laughs) There, 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 there are subtle ways, you know, as a writer that that you can, you know, inject um, an understanding of mutual uh, bodily respect. Um, So it can be as as simple as a gesture, you know, making eye contact, you know, like look for those those little little ways we communicate with, with other people um, and, and reflect that on the page, I'd say, is uh, a good way to make sure con- consent is, is always informed. Um, I love this moment um, where you sent me this little uh, Williams Dom drop. Yes, yes. So what, Swan is, <laughs> what is Dom drop, by the way? So this... Um, you know, this goes back to your earlier question. This also blew my mind. <laughs> Everything else uh, with BDSM. So one thing that uh, 
that a lot of people who maybe know about BDSM casually know about is uh, this phenomenon called subdrop, which is basically when all of these pleasure chemicals that have been infused, you know, into your body um, while participating in an intense sexual scene. Um, it is the biological phenomena, sometimes psychological as well, that happens when all of those chemicals uh, rush out of your body. So okay. some people report feeling, you know, maybe a little sick, getting flu-like symptoms, or just, you know, kind of feeling very, very tired. Um, and a cold, like shaking and cold. Yeah, shaking, cold. Yeah, okay. yeah just, just kind of coming down from a rush, basically. Yeah. Um, and what's fascinating is this can happen for dominance as well. And it's called dom drop. And in which basically, you know, they're participating in a very intense scene, you know, loving what they're doing, getting this, this high out of the activity. And then it stops and there's a come down there. There's a crash from that high basically. Right. So um, I wanted to explore that in Swan Peak because uh, this is also the first time that uh as a writer, I added uh, William's uh, point of view uh, to the story because up until this point, it's been exclusively April. So it was it was challenging, but a, a lot of fun to write. I sort of see sort of see his dom drop now is a little bit less physical, mm-hmm. and it's way more mental and emotional. Yes, and I think correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the place where he where yeah where she said I love you? to him yes this is right after she uh she's told him she used the l word for the first time and it kind of it almost feels like that gave him more of the dom drop than the actual <laughs> act of it you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> sure. um and it's sort of he's grappling with this a little bit um yeah. because he feels it he feels mm-hmm. it too um and i and i feel this is like kind of the the first time he's felt it yes because as much as and it was sort of fascinating as much as she's learning from him right and there's definitely this slightly unequal relationship here at least in the beginning where she he is the master you know he's done this before Mm -hmm. um she's never done this she's learning she's never given a blowjob she's learning you know um and he's her teacher she is teaching him so much as well um it's just a lot subtler and and so i thought that this particularly at the very end of his drop was just stunning i'm reading now (laughs) hold on (laughs) she'd left me physically bereft starving craving her plunging aimlessly into a desolate purgatory without her and at 2 a.m it was pushing the extent of my will to resist the urge to march upstairs upstairs shake her awake and devour her again but i couldn't demand her submission i couldn't abuse her trust to slake my hunger for another taste of her heavenly surrender i could only take that which she offered me freely i'm in love of course she loves him (laughs) consent matters to william so um but but yeah, it's it's definitely more of a more of a psychological come down, um, you know, because he he's also the one who's who's dishing out the physical activity. You know, he he's not the receiver. Um, the exception being, um, you know, obviously the first time April gives a blowjob, which is much more focused on his physical sensation than it is on hers. 
um, which is really the the first time we actually sort of see a um, a bit of a power shift between the two of them. Yeah, <laughs> and it was delightful. <laughs> yeah. The first time we see a, a power shift, and um, you know the 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 only time actually in in the books thus far that consent has. Um, really been in question, but not April's. It's it's more so Williams because she continues the activity longer than he actually wants her to. And yeah. um that was something that I I definitely wanted to explore very, very deeply in, in the chapters that followed. Um because in a way she she kind of pushed him um beyond what, his comfort zone. So why now I'm curious why you wanted to have her do that. So The thing about any relationship, you know, not just BDSM, um, is it's going to be messy. You know, there's going to be a learning curve. And while, you know, April enjoys being a submissive, um, it's not the only thing that she is. And and she's still learning. And and William's still learning how to be a dominant um, because he's he's never really been in a a long-term, exclusive, committed relationship that that looks like this one. I also think that uh, male consent is uh, is something we don't really talk about very often. I would agree um, because there's there's kind of this this assumption that you know men will always be in the and have the upper hand and right. ha- let you know forgive me for using heteronormative uh, terms here, but um, th- there's this assumption that you know a man's consent can never be violated. And, and that's simply not true. Anybody's consent can be violated. If you, if right. you have a body and there's somebody who's not respecting your boundaries, um, violation can occur. Um, and I think that uh, with, with, with April, you know, specifically being this, you know, very fragile looking, you know, former dancer who's, you know, psychologically questionable in her own way. Um, the assumption would be that her consent would, would be the one most likely to be violated. And I wanted to demonstrate that actually it's, it's pretty easy for it to be the other way around. Um, and that, that could actually be a little scary, you know, for a man who's not used to having his, his space violated. So how, how do you work through that? How do you, how do you move on from it? How do you communicate? Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to, to delve into that a little bit because, uh, you know, the old adage is write the kind of book that you want to read. And I, I hadn't read that before. So I figured I'd give it a try. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Write the book you want to read because, you know, we get told so many times, write the, write what you know. No, <laughs> no, no, no. That is, that is so short-sighted. Um, honestly, we, we wouldn't have some of the greatest stories if we were only told to write what we know. Um, I think write what you want, really. That that's the advice that I would give. Right. <laughs> write the story that you want to tell. And if it's something you don't know about it, research it. You know, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and I'm gonna ask before I forget, can you email me a list of like a BDSM library? Like if it's not too much trouble. I oh, absolutely. My own. Oh, like, for sure. You know, <laughs> my own. I have the Marquis de Sade's writing somewhere. I've got to find it. I know it's somewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to just start a, start a BDSM library because I'm oh, very curious now. And I kind of want to, I, I want to dip into it a little bit more after reading <laughs> your stuff. Like, I'm like, oh, this is kind of exciting. Oh, I have 
so much. Um, in fact, I will send you annotations. <laughs> oh, yes. Even though you did <laughs> um, I'll take your dissertation, please. Thank gladly, you. Gladly. Um, so one thing I will say right off the bat, have you read anything from uh, William Marston? No. So he was a psychologist, um, professor at Harvard. Uh, he was one of the original inventors of the lie detector test. And under a nom de plume um, is the creator of Wonder Woman. Um, really? Yes. But what's no really, idea. That is super fascinating about him. And I don't know if you've ever read the original Wonder Woman comics, but there was overt BDSM themes. Very, very overt with the tying up, with the, yeah, you know, I can see that. some yeah. submissive characters, some dominant characters. And as a psychologist, um, you know, uh, William Marston uh, believed that there was a dominant and submissive in all of us. And he went a step further and believed that society would be better with dominant women, um, that men naturally want to submit to a loving authority. Um, it's it's absolutely fascinating. So, um, oh my I, God, I'm I, so highly, going highly recommend. Um, and he lived a very interesting life. Uh, he and his wife, a fellow professor, they were in a, a polyamorous relationship with one of their um, lab assistants. And, uh, you know, William died in his 50s, I want to say, of lung cancer. Um, but his wife and their uh, life partner, they continued to live together, raise children together um, and, until they passed away, I think in the, the 90s and early 2000s, respectively. Wow. So, very interesting life. Um, but uh, yeah, as, a, as an academic, he delved very deep into uh, BDSM and the, the natural nature of dominance and submission in people. Um, oh, fascinating. Very, very controversial at the time. And, and that is how we got Wonder Woman. So <laughs> Um, oh my god that's so cool I had yeah. no idea yeah it's, no idea. it's fascinating it's great stuff <laughs> um so I also wanted to talk about something that we had talked about when we were just you know talking because we're friends yes <laughs> <laughs> I love her listeners just so you know we're friends and um and it was because of this podcast because yes. you know that's how we got introduced and and we're friends now, which is so awesome. Uh, so we were having a friend conversation about all of this stuff. And um, and I was talking, we were talking about aftercare, yes. which is, again, something I knew nothing about. And I think is really not only important within the BDSM world mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, but I just think in general, aftercare is like, you don't roll over and go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> True, definitely. You know, and um and I think that there's a lot that we can learn, you know, um in our own relationships as writers um ab about looking at at aftercare and what it is and how to give it and what we can learn and what it means. Uh, absolutely. Um so so for for those who might not know, um aftercare at least in the the BDSM sense, it is it's the attention and specific time that is dedicated to to caring for a submissive after a BDSM session. Um, and it, it, it varies based on what a particular person needs. Um, you know, if, if a session is highly physical, um, it could be the dominant partner providing a hot bubble bath or a tender massage. 
um, if the session was more like psychologically focused, then aftercare could be, you know, words of reassurance or a long discussion to dissect everything that happened, um, or even just cuddling. Um, but, uh, you, you bring up a good point. I think in, in the broader sense, if we think of aftercare as just processing something intense that just happened, um, I think that we can, as writers, we can all learn that, um, what goes up must always come down. Um, right. high intensity, anything, um, from bodice ripping to spanking and role play to, you know, being rescued by a hero and chased by villains. Um, all of that makes for fantastic drama and tension. Um, you know, that's what moves your plot forward. Um, but it's not sustainable. Um, you know, eventually that the scene is over, eventually that energy is exhausted. And what you're left with is an amazing opportunity. You, you have these characters who are processing all of that intensity that has just transpired. Um, so I'd, I'd encourage all writers to really think about the framework of aftercare as an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper into your character's psychology. Um, yeah. You know, explore not just how they're reacting to things around them, but but how they feel about it, you know, because, you know, romance is the genre of feelings. <laughs> I think I think what's really sort of fascinating is to a way to think about aftercare is that it really affects your pacing. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Um, you know, so one of the best, um, my very first editor, uh, Rapia, <laughs> give her a shout out. Um, uh, she she got a day job. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'll stop. I love my editor. Um, I, I adore my editor now. She's fantastic. But she, I like, a, like my first editor taught me so much. Um, and I was writing urban fantasy, and um, I did that thing where I felt like it had to be all systems go all the time, and I never allowed the characters to step back and kind of absorb what was going on around them and have feelings about it. And it was just a constant go, 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 you know, onto the next battle, onto the next battle. And these were like literal battles because it was yeah. an urban fantasy. And she, you know, she, she was, she told me to go watch Alias. Oh, the, with Jennifer yeah. Garner. Yeah, with okay. Jennifer Garner. <laughs> okay. I've never seen it, but. <gasps> oh, go watch it. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> and I should probably do a rewatch, but you know, she said, she was like, go watch Alias. They, they, they do that pacing thing masterfully. And if you like go and take a look at it and I'm actually going to take a look at it again. Um, oh, maybe we should do, we should, we should do a whole podcast about that. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm down. We're still indoors here in LA. So if this is the next show I need to binge, sign me up. <laughs> yes, binge it for sure. Um, because, you know, they actually do do this really masterfully where she is always like, you know, she's dealing with some sort of, you know, spy thing and, you know, out there kicking ass. And then she needs to go back to her regular life and process not only what just happened to her as a spy, but then also have to live in the real world with the rest of us um, mm. who are non-spies. Um, so, so, you know, I think that we can think of aftercare as a form of pacing and because it is really a way that you can, um, you can let readers discover your characters. Absolutely. Or yes. deep, deep, in, a, in a deeper and more meaningful way. Mm -hmm. 
Um, okay, let me see. Where's this little bit here? Um, so there's an, there's an, uh, I don't think this is a aftercare exactly the post play discussion. I mean, I guess it's a bit. Yeah. Could this uh, fall into aftercare? It counts. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so they, I don't, what had happened before with this scene where William, he did something that sounded like he put a, oh. a, a kid on the spot, like a 19 year old boy, <laughs> little man. So, so, so this is, um, this is a lot of fun to write. So I'll, I'll just say, um, to, to kind of set this up, Swan Peak, um, this is a week of, uh, essentially BDSM 101, uh, between William and April. And, they are exploring a whole bunch of different scenes varying in intensity um, and physical and psychological intensity. So there are some scenes that are very, very dark and gritty, very, very highly physical and others that are kind of lighter. And I mean, in my opinion, kind of funny <laughs> because, because sex isn't even BDSM sex. It doesn't always have to be the intense, you know, earth shattering crying. It, it could also just be kind of fun and, you know, sort of silly. And this is, um, what, what you're mentioning is the, the aftermath of one of the sillier scenes where basically, um, William is away. He's on the phone with April and, uh, they, they get a visitor at this, this Alpine mansion that he has up in the Yukon territory. And it is the, the son of the house caretaker, you know, a 19 year old college student. And, kind of seizing this opportunity, William sort of directs April to kind of show off her body to this kid <laughs> um, and kind of tease him in a way. And in the moment, you know, April's very, very close to using her safe word because she's just horribly embarrassed because she knows that this guy is looking at her, is, you know, getting excited looking at her. But what's interesting about it as they, you know, have their aftercare, they have this discussion where, you know, April very you know, without a filter says, you embarrassed me, you know, that this was embarrassing. And I don't really think I like this. I don't think I want to do it again. Um, she realizes that for the first time, um, that in this play that they were doing this play that made her very uncomfortable, it was the first time that she thought of herself as sexy, as she thought mm. of herself as somebody as she didn't, she didn't think of her body in terms of her disease, in terms of being anxious, um, she just thought of herself as turning on somebody else. And that was the thing that embarrassed her, you know, not, um, just the act of being exposed. So, um, so yeah, the, the aftercare here is really just, you know, discussing why she was embarrassed. <laughs> and, and she really sort of go at the beginning of the scene, she really kind of goes after him a little bit, you know, and, and, you know, she's like right here, she goes, um, you embarrassed me. I asserted unafraid and unfiltered. Once he plated our evening meal at the kitchen bar, he'd prepared steak au pois with vegetables moving with you. Okay. For, can I just say your food description <laughs> in these books are like off the charts and like, and this is like the most decadent, beautiful meals and you know, Oh, I irony, this woman has an eating disorder and she is just like all of the like steak au pois with vegetables. And, <laughs> And, and, you know, this is also like, she's like learning, relearning how to eat and it's beautiful and it makes me so hungry, <laughs> but you know, and, and indeed I did as well as the boy, he responded, pouring me a glass of wine, his unapologetic, unapologetic 
energetic honesty was disorienting. Why? Because I love it when you squirm, he answered with a smirk. And so, you know, I think it's also important to point out, like, in here from six till nine each evening, we wouldn't be Sir and Little Swan. We wouldn't be boss and employee. This is where they're on equal footing. And she can say, hey, you know what? That thing you did wasn't too crazy about that. And they can sort of like really kind of unpack what had happened between them. So uh, one quick question, though. Are they spending basically like 24 hours a day minus these three hours in the dominant submissive role? Exactly. Um, oh, well, my God, that's wild. Technically, they're they're also outside of it. Um, there there is a moment later on in, in the novella where they uh, they kind of butt heads with each other at I guess roughly what one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Um, but yeah, the the idea here is it is a BDSM camp basically. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, week, you know, seeing if this is something that, um, that they can do together, uh, long-term, you know, so they're, they're exploring it very privately in a very protected space. And, uh, because this is romance, they, we end with a, with a happily ever after. Well, a happily for now, because uh, the series is continuing, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just want to read this a little bit because I think that this sort of brings, uh, brings it brings it into relief that the idea of the aftercare and the importance of writing it and just also r really digs into uh april's psyche that i loved um towards the end of this scene she she there is um you know they've sort of worked through um what he did and how she felt about it and and she's thinking as uncomfortable as that game had been as embarrassed as it had made me feel not once had I thought about my illness or how my body looked because of it. I'd completely forgotten about my visible bones, the translucency of my skin, my breaking hair, and every other physical manifestation of my sickness. For one very awkward afternoon, and for the first time, I'd thought of myself as a woman only, as sexy. <sighs> <laughs> This is a big realization for her, having been through the first book with her. And, you know, um, this is a really big moment for her in just the, this one small scene and those that these few sentences. This is huge. And, you know, once again, it's sort of like it's like it's almost like he knows what she needs, you know, and, and she to help her get through this trauma that she's been through that she's still going through yeah yeah no it's a there, there's definitely a, a lot of work um yeah. happening on the page um yeah. in a, a very small amount of time but uh you know it's 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 a dark novel it's it's a bdsm novel um but but it has a happily ever after you know it, it has that theme of optimism and you know, one thing I, I really wanted to be careful about and to always remember is that, you know, April April wants to be a submissive, you know, and BDSM mm -hmm. is something that is restorative for her. So, you know, that that pushed me to, to look at um, the after effects of BDSM and, and how these experiences could be beneficial, you know, in, in a psychological way. Um, and, you know, sort of a, a, a common, you know, practice in, in many BDSM relationships is, you know, not, not necessarily sharing your partner, but, but showing off a submissive partner, you know, showing off their sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yes, there's the humiliation aspect, uh, which many submissive act submissives actually enjoy. Um, but but there's also the empowerment aspect of it too. Like you know, look look at this this beautiful person that that I'm in a relationship with. Um, so it's it's sort of for the first time April starting to see herself the way that that William sees her. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful moment. Thank you. I'm excited to read Swan Peak. <laughs> um, so Elby, thank yes. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. For coming back and doing this. And thank <laughs> you for being my friend and sending me a starter library. <laughs> be in my starter library. You may regret this because I have a lot that I'll be sending you. <laughs> 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 just flag what you think are like the three most important and okay. uh, you know that I should start with and then I can like work my way through it I'm really excited to start okay. reading about it. it um so I should also say that we are going to go on clubhouse yes I am excited for this and do a room um we are I'm not entirely sure when yet because it depends I would say after you know I, I guess after this goes out maybe a couple of days after um, we can, we can get together and do a room in clubhouse and, um, you guys can join us and we'll kind of pick a topic. I don't know. Um, it may be BDSM specific, maybe a little bit, uh, broader about, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, but this is a big topic, um, too, is writing trauma. Mm. Oh, that would be a good discussion. So, um, and how uh, and how romance uh, BDSM or romance more generally, um, you know how, how what that looks like when we're writing trauma. Oh yes. What do you think about so, that? That might be a good one. That is very compelling, and I, I definitely think it's it's a conversation that 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 needs to be had. <laughs> oh, cool! All right, cool. Yeah, so I think we're gonna do that. Let's maybe we should do that in Clubhouse. That sounds like it might be um, a good conversation. Absolutely. Sign me up. I'm available. Excellent. I'm indoors um, all day. We're, we're, we're indoors all the time. <laughs> no vitamin D happening right now. Elby, <laughs> where can readers find you again? And I will have these in the show notes too. Readers can find me uh, on my website at lbalexander.com. And I am also on social everywhere, uh, Instagram, Facebook, at lbalexanderauthor. And awesome. I love interacting with folks. So say hi. Yes. Nice, I promise. <laughs> and, then, and then eventually you'll find us on Clubhouse. <laughs> so, so Elby, thank you once again for being here. It is always so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. This, this has been wonderful, Al. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks. And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.